and grabbed him by the throat and I said, I'll rip you head off and the screws were straight in. Born in Hartlepool in 1964, it was, it was a big industrial place, you know. I was told from being five year old that I was adopted. Right. Know? And uh, obviously you find out as you get older that what, what the story was. I knocked him out and uh, broke his ribs with a body shot. How long did that fight last? 90 seconds. 90 seconds? I was just waiting to set the trap, you know. Once I set the trap, I got him on the ropes and I went like that to, th to throw the right hand, but it was a feint. Then I just brought this left hook in. Bam! Oh. Sweet shot. Hit him right in the rib, broke his ribs, he went down. Oh, he was gone. He said, that's the hardest body shot I've ever been hit with. Bloody hell. You can go into trouble and say, like, oh, okay, calm down. And some people will be, all oh, right, I didn't mean I'm sorry. And other mm. people get aggressive, and they're the ones you need to say, right, anymore. And you're going out. And yeah. if they get aggressive, back in the day, we just, you just bang. You just bang them out. You had a situation with Charles Bronson? Oh, we were going to have a fight because, you know, he does his drawings and his art. He was kept writing to me, your guest of honour at my art show, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, never, I never went anyway. The art show was over and I got a letter off Bronson, is that your game, disrespecting people, blah, blah, blah. So I wrote him a letter and said, who the f*** do you think you're talking to, you? Who do you think you are? You're nobody, you know all that. I gave him the full spiel. And I thought, once he reads this letter, he's going to be doing 200 press-ups a minute. <laughs> With my face there, and he's, oh, I'm mm. A representative of Bronson's phoned me up and, no, oh, no, sent me a letter and then uh, I had to phone him up and we spoke on the phone and we said, will you fight Charlie? I says, yeah, right, I will. He says, I grabbed Oldie and says, that's enough, Richie. He's had enough, he's had enough. He says, you turned on me. He said, get off me. He says, and then you continued smashing them the yeah, he says, and he, he was like choking and gargling on blood. And he, he says, I thought you'd killed him. And I was saying, Richie, it's me, Vulture. Richie, come on now, get off him. Vulture says, uh, when, he, when he went home that night, when he was laid in bed, he was shaking. His wife, Leslie, was saying, what's wrong with you, Paul? What's happened? What's happened? And he says, I think Richie's just killed somebody. Right, I'm greatly honoured today to have Richie Horsley in the studio. I've watched some of his other stuff online. It's gone really viral and it's a hell of a story. This has been organised as well by Jamie Boyle. Jamie Boyle introduced me to Richie a few years ago and we did publish one of his audio books. It's Northern Warrior, absolutely gripping read going over that and just to give you an idea of Richie's life story I'm just going to read what it says on the back of Northern Warrior to start given away as a six-day-old baby Richie really began his life fighting he was brought up by a loving couple in the fine northern seaside town of Hartlepool but fighting became a way of life and he couldn't escape it as much as he tried growing up in a fighting town with a passion for punk music. My first ever record I bought was um, 
Holidays in the Sun, Brilliant. Sex Pistols. A liking for boxing and a reputation for fighting, Richie would find himself in many situations with some infamous faces such as prison icon Paul Sykes and Tyneside's Viv Graham and his big fight with the notorious prisoner Charles Bronson. Richie has lived his life with a strong moral code, impeccable manners and the gentlemanly attitude. But of course, when you mix that with bouncing in clubs and being in prison, those are traits you can't always abide by. And using extreme violence was sometimes necessary, even if it meant having to dodge a bullet or two. Some of his fights have passed into local folklore for the brutality of them. ABA boxer, unlicensed boxer, burnuckle fighter, street fighter, Richie was all of these. Northern Warrior is the true story of a modern day gladiator. It hasn't always been an easy ride, but Richie has faced every challenge with a warrior mentality. Richie is a fur and honest man and is still very much alive and kicking. His journey is far from over. And he continues to live by his motto in life, which is, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. And like I said, Richie's not done very many interviews, so it's a real honour to have him on today. Huge thank you to Jamie for organising this. All links for Richie's books and Jamie's YouTube and books will be in the description box below this video. So please support their work. So, huge thank you for coming on, Rich. You really appreciate you coming down. Nice to meet you, Sean. Pleasure yeah, you. yeah. And I know that you recently spent some time with Ian <clears throat> Blink MacDonald. We're going to perhaps uh, get to that story later on. But do you want to just let the viewers who are not familiar with your story know a little bit about your background, Hartlepool? Well, I was born in Hartlepool in 1964. And people from Hartlepool called monkey hangers because... Uh, during the Napoleonic Wars, there was a French galleon sunk off the coast of Hartlepool, and the only survivor was a uh, was a monkey dressed in <laughs> dressed in French, you know, garb <laughs> to amuse the crew, no doubt. And uh, that got washed ashore. The only survivor. So the crofters of Hartlepool thought it was a French spy. I'd never seen a Frenchman before, had they? <laughs> <laughs> so they hung it. They hung it on the beach, so people from Hartlepool from then on had been called monkey hangers. So, and you know, when you used to go for ice cream when you were a kid, when we did anyway, and when, you know, you get the red sauce or the strawberry sauce oh, on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It was always called monkey blood in that. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, if you go for ice cream, if you didn't ask for monkey blood, yeah. the ice cream man would say, do you want some monkey blood on it? <laughs> <laughs> if you go to the shop, yeah, get us three ice creams. Get some monkey blood on them. You know, monkey blood. So it's a port town, is it? Yeah, seaside town. So what, what industries the are there? Like coast. shipping, fishing? It was massive, yeah. Years ago it was yeah. absolutely massive. Big steel works, big ship and port, ship building. There was a lot of shipbuilding went on in Hartlepool. It was it was a big industrial place, you know. So did you see the decline of that, like Liverpool saw the decline of the shipping? Yeah, it was just the same, just yeah. the same in Hartlepool. Hartlepool was massive. Well, like a, people went from all over the country to Hartlepool for work. Right. Back in the, like the 1800s and early 1900s. Yeah, And then yeah. it's just 
dead as a door-door now. There's not much work there, though. Yeah. That's why you've got to travel for work now. So earlier this week, I interviewed my mum. My mum was in here. She's just got a book out called Blue Plastic Cow. And her life story is that her mum was pregnant with her, got jilted by the dad days before they were about to get married. The Catholic Church said that you can't have a baby out of wedlock, you will burn in hell. And forced the mum against her will to give the baby up for adoption. And then my mum, she went to a a lovely family in Widnes. She was raised by a tremendous family. Um, I I spent a lot of time when I was a kid and and, and God bless her her parents now who are dead, who adopted her. But my mum then, she went to visit a therapist when she was a teenager or a doctor or something. And the doctor at the end of the appointment said, by the way, do you know you were adopted? So mum completely went into shock. She had no idea. didn't Didn't know. Completely went into shock, rebelled against their own parents, and then years later she... Well, she felt like she'd been lied though, wouldn't she? Yeah. You know what I mean? She went on a 30-year journey trying to find a mum. My God. But, but I, I, what do you remember of, of you being adopted? How, how did that affect you psychologically? Because it gave my mum depression and anxiety. Yeah, well, would, would do, not being told, and then... But people react to it differently. But yeah. I was told from being five-year-old that I was adopted. You right. Know? And uh, obviously, you find out as you get older that what what the story was, and like obviously, my mum and dad had a bairn when I, I was well, I wasn't even born three years before I was born. Yeah, and they couldn't have no marks. She was there's something wrong with her when she was born, and she died. She was about five months old or something like that, mm. and she couldn't have no more kids. Yeah, but my dad's older sister was a medium, she used to read tea leaves and all that, carry on. Mm. And uh, she'd went round there flat one day and said, I know you can't have any kids, but I can see a pram outside your front door. There's a baby coming from somewhere for you to <laughs> mark my words. And they just thought, she's lost the plot. So like a few months down the line, she'd called in, had another cup of tea and said, I'm going to repeat what I said last time. And see a pram outside your front door. There's a baby come from somewhere for you to. <laughs> and anyway, one day my mum bumped into a friend she hadn't seen. She used to work with her when she was 16 at the bottling plant in the brewery. She'd never seen her for years. Bumped into her. Haven't you got any kids and all that? She said, well, I had a kid, but lost it. Blah, blah, blah. And she'd said, eh, well, I'm pregnant and I don't want it. Wow. You can have this if you want. So and that's how it, uh, my mother said, really? Yeah, and that's how that uh, came into came into being. Yeah. So when she went in and had the baby, and my mum and dad went up and dropped her off in a taxi or whatever they did and took me home and that was it. So it wasn't like an official adoption. It was yeah. like given away. So I have a total different name on my birth certificate. And then when I was 15, my name was changed by Deepole because I was ready to leave school then, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's how that... Uh, but I had a lovely upbringing, you know what I mean? Uh, really lovely upbringing. My dad was football crazy, <laughs> so I was football crazy. And uh, I loved playing in goal. I was goalkeeper yeah. from my early age. And my dad used to take shots at me on the grass, save this one, Banksy, because Gordon Banks was uh, the goalkeeper, England goalie then one. Save this one, Banksy, save that one, Banksy. <laughs> and, and Leeds United were my team. And So I, I played in goal for the school. Yeah. And then I played in, and then I 
when my dad died when I was 10, I packed in. And then I played a, f a few times in senior school and then packed in again. And then I played, I, I still had the bug, so when I was about 22 or something like that, I thought, oh, I just fancy playing a bit more football. So I played for another couple of seasons mm -hmm. and I, I broke someone's legs because I used to go in for the tackle. I used to always dive at people's feet and all that. I, I was always... You know, I'd never duck out of a challenge. I always, always started, I was physical, you know what I mean? And then their strike and my, I just just went in for the ball. 50-50 ball. I got the ball, but he landed up and broke both his legs. Bloody he was screaming hell. and they the, got the ambulance, stretched him off. And, and he was in plaster up to his waist for about uh, so many months. Yeah. And uh, well, there was a couple of incidents happened. Uh, I got con concussed in one game. Just played it, played through, but I think I got kicked in the head, going for the ball, and, and I kicked in the stomach, and you know all that. And then, and I remember the, it was a really intense cup game, and uh, the referee blows whistle for half time, and I shouted to one of the lads, "What's he blows whistle for? We've just kicked off, and we just had forty-five minutes." And we mate looked at us and said, "And just said, sit there, pour a freezing cold." Thingy of water all over us and come out of it, you know what I mean? But I was concussed all through the game, like. And uh, I, I had a game for uh, Halifax Town when they were in the Football League. I had trials for them. And uh, I, had a, I had a bad game, though. I played in a two-wall draw, but I had a bad game. Mm. And I thought, uh, that's my... You know when you're drifting away? And I just drifted away from it and went back to the back to the boxing. What about in school then? What were you like? Did you have a lot of friends? Were you interested in any of the subjects? I wasn't really uh, a school person, but yeah, I had quite a, a few friends. Like, but I, even though I had quite a few friends, with me being like a lone kid, you know, no brothers and sisters in the house, I uh, I like being on my own, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, we know where other people can't stand being on their own. Yeah. I love being on my own. Still to I, the, I like my own company. Still to this day? Yeah, I like being on my own. I'm a bit the same like see, that, yeah. I, 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 I could, I could be on my own for three weeks and not see another soul. It yeah. wouldn't bother me at all, you know? Yeah. That's what I'm like. And, uh, yeah. But obviously, I love cousins and this, that, and the other. And, and, I, and when that woman gave me away... Mm. I was her fourth child, so she had three other kids, so I had siblings, you know. Mm. And I met my two sisters when I was 19. When you were 19? Yeah, I met them. Did you go looking for them? I asked, asked my mum, I said, will you get in touch with Violet, the, girl, the woman who gave birth to me? Yeah. And I said, I'd like to meet my sisters. And so I Violet arranged it, and then I met my sisters, and I was one of them still alive, Deborah. She's uh, two years older than me. But the other one, Jacqueline, she's been dead 20 years. She killed herself. Oh, man. Yeah. That's sad. Bloody hell. Was, yeah, sad, yeah. And, uh, but there was a, the firstborn was a brother. Uh, I'd searched for him for years and years and years. And uh, finally came to a conclusion in two, about 2006 or something. Found out where he was and all this and the other. And, He'd uh, died. Oh. He died, yeah. But um, Vulture, my mate Vulture, because I, I put a post on Facebook, anyone up the colliery's uh, 
from Easington he was. And uh, anyone up the collieries would uh, know this man, blah, blah, blah. And Vulture messaged me, said, you know, Fraser, he does all that. I said, does he? He says, yeah, send him whatever details you've got. So I did. And he phoned me up. He said, uh, Richie, I've uh, found that bloke, your brother. I says, get out of it. He says, I found within the hour, I found him. Within the hour, wow. He says, uh, I'm going up to his house. Now are you coming? And I thought, Phew. I said, no, mate, no, I'm not coming. I said, uh, you know, because I might go up and say, oh, no, I'm not interested. But uh, when he got up there, there was no one there. So he knocked on next door and she said, oh, he died. He came in drunk one night um, and fell down the stairs at the top and smashed his head on the bottom. Oh, on the bottom, so he'd like, he had a brain injury and he bled out. And yeah. They then died, you know, he's dead there. Yeah. So, so that's what... But I went on there... Uh, I went on surprise, surprise, you know. Did you? Yeah, looking for him. Yeah. Because uh, they, they've done this thingy on surprise, surprise called uh, Search Line. And it was a new thing called Search Line. So I went down London and done the, like the thingy into the camera. I'm looking for my brother, blah, 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 yeah. blah. And uh, so when it came on, there was a bloke called Gordon Benz on it, doing it. And he'd said... <laughs> And uh, tonight we've got this new uh, part of the programme which is called Search Line, where people search for their relatives. And he said, and uh, our very first one is uh, Richard Horsley from Hartlepool. And then I came on doing the search. I think I was a lot skinnier then. <laughs> and I had uh, like a moustache, uh, looked like a Freddie Mercury. <laughs> but uh, that was the 80s in full swing, wasn't it? <laughs> but uh, yeah. Is that clip but, on YouTube? I don't know where it is. It was, it was some. I used to have it on video. Yeah, but uh, lost it. Yeah, oh, that's a shame. But uh, it'd be funny to get hold of it yeah, again. Yeah. But uh, someone seen replays of that and said, mm. and said you came on. I thought, bloody hell, there's Richie. Donkeys <laughs> years ago. When I was working the doors at the time, you know, bouncing, mm. and people used to come up to me all the time. Did you find your brother? Did you find your brother? Yeah. I says no, never heard not. I'd walk in the shop, you know. Are you? Is that your own surprise, surprise? Did you find your brother? No, I didn't matter. Why are that? Yeah, if people want to help, don't they? Same with my yeah. mum. She was worried about going out there, but she got a lot of help from people. So you ended up in court then at age 13? Yeah. How did that come about? Well, that was stupid, really. It was just a prank. Yeah. It was, uh, we were, it was five of us going turkey picking. Mm. And obviously we went into a farmer's field seeing this big haystack. And we just, well, there was four of us were 13 and one of us were 14. And uh, we just thrown the air stack all at each other. Just wrecked the air stack, just having a good laugh. Yeah, yeah. Just throwing bells of air at each other. <laughs> and then the farmer and the farmhands, you know, gathered round and phoned the police and got it locked up for criminal damage to a hair stack. They actually charge you at 13? Yeah, because the... Uh, That's pathetic. Yeah, I know. The farmer was a uh, local magistrate. Oh. So he took us to court. Bloody what hell. shit else. Criminalising a 13-year-old? Yeah. So we all got done for criminal damage of his hair stack. And did they find you guilty? Yeah, we got... We all got... We got tell you what we got, I still remember it. It was 1977. Yeah. And it was... Uh, we got... Six pound compensation, yeah, 
and uh, twelve month conditional discharge. Six pound. That's a that's a lot of pocket Six, money back then. How long ago was that? Now uh, forty four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Forty four years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Bloody honest. You just got to slap on the wrists now, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. So there was a point in your life where you actually got bullied then. When I was a little kid, yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, just... There's obviously the uh, the local bullies always lived on the corner, don't they? And this lad mm. was about two or three years older than me. When I was a kid, I was just... You just want to play, don't you? Make yeah. friends and that. And why people want to pick on little kids, I don't know. But he used to pick on me all the time and I used to run in crying all the time. Mum and Dad say, stop running in all the time, crying. Stand up for yourself, but that's a big gap in it when you're like six and someone's like nine. It's a huge gap. Huge, yeah. So, but one day, I don't know where, I just got this, someone came over me, not to run, so I sh- I'd seen him and I shouted him and he come running. But when he see my mum, my mum and dad were on the steps, say, in the sun, and uh, that's probably where I got the carriage from. I thought, he wanted me where these are. And he and he was he stopped when he seen them he stopped and they just started walking towards me. I thought I'm just going to hit them as soon as he gets in range. And I did bang, but I hit him right on the lug. <laughs> and he stood there holding his lug. He was in shock that I hit him. And he should have seen all the tears in his eyes. <laughs> and he walked away in shock. And yeah. I thought, yeah. They never came back and after he, that. He never he never bullied me after that. No. Good, good. So what was your first moves that you got into? Yeah, well, my mum used to play a lot of uh, country and western mm. and and all the old stuff like the bit, oh. bit of Johnny Cash. Uh, Marty Robbins was her favourite. Right, Marty Robbins. Yeah, and uh, but she used to play Neil Sedak, eh? All that type of stuff. Yeah, and and I used to like all the old rock and roll ones, Buddy mm-hmm. Holly and Elvis. I loved Elvis. Yeah, and all that type of stuff. Oh, great. Yeah. Great time. Shawaddy Waddy. Shawaddy Waddy. Oh, top of the Pops. Shawaddy yeah. I used to love all that. We used to live for Top of the Pops. Oh, man, it was great. One yeah. Was one of my first crushes was Blondie. Was it? Debbie Harry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think her and Catwoman on Batman. <laughs> oh, Catwoman. Everyone loved Catwoman, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that uh, Eartha Kitt? I, 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 I think it was Eartha Kitt, you know. Or one of them was Eartha Kitt. Yeah. Yeah. Eartha Kitt, yeah. And I remember Racco Welch, she was quite prominent back then in um, yeah. some dinosaur movie. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. What was it? A thousand years Six, BC or something like that? So many million years BC or something, something like that, yeah. 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 Just in the loincloths and the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, lucky. <yeah. laughs> so, how was it when punk rock music came along for you? Did oh, you man. get a skinhead and Dr. Yeah, Martins was, and all that? Oh, I love the punk. Uh, yeah. Punk days was, man. That was fantastic. Yeah, well, just everyone was spiking their hair up, dyeing their hair and yeah. safety pins through their nose and yeah, yeah. just cutting the clothes up and putting safety pins in and, you know, all that. It was, that was fantastic. I was doing safety pins on my face. Yeah, was I, I was brilliant, like man. <laughs> brilliant. One time I got my hair dyed blonde and got uh, question marks in it. Yeah. So... I look like the Riddler of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just the buzz, the feeling, everything about 
it was like, like a revolution in music, that wasn't it? That time was just unbelievable. Yeah. Angelic upstarts, the clash, the sex pistols. Stranglers. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Buzzcocks. Sham 69. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. The music was unbelievable. Yeah. It was just new and it was vibrant. Wasn't it? That was brilliant. When, when you, well, we used to go to all different discos and that. And bikers discos and this, that, and the other. And we yeah. were all punk rockers and they hated us, you know what I mean? <laughs> so when we used to go, we asked the DJ, put some punk rock songs on. Yeah. He'd put punk on. We, we'd go on the dance floor, we'd be poor going and all that. And the bikers would throw drinks over here <laughs> and shout and swear at you. Know? But there was always be fighting, you know. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was, it was good. It was like, it was a buzz. It was adrenaline buzz. It was high octane stuff, you know. It was like, oh, it was, yeah. it was good. It was, it was brilliant. Great days. Did but, you watch that movie Quadrophenia? I did, yeah. Sting. Yeah, yeah. It was a good film, that. That was a classic, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a hell of a film. Yeah. So, the fighting then, when did that begin? When did, did you have an interest in it from an early age? I got it, I got really got into the boxing, watching uh, Dave Boy Green fight John H. Stracy. Yeah. Because uh, I used to read the back of the paper and, and there was this big fight coming up and it was them two. Mm. And I thought... Because I'd said, oh, it's on the radio. I thought, oh, I'm going to listen to that live on the radio. And yeah. that's what I did. And I, I tuned into that and I listened to that and it was unbelievable. I'll mm. never, ever forget it. Yeah. And I thought, wow. It was like, wow. It took me back to the days of when Joe Lewis and all them were fighting mm-hmm. and everyone you would sit around the radio listening to the, you know, like yeah. 20, 30 sat around the radio <laughs> listening to the fight mm. back in the days when there was no tellies and that. I mean, yeah. Ah, it took you to another place that mm. you hear the punches landing and the, and the, and the roar of the crowd ah, <laughs> something else man it makes the air stand up on your neck so did you join the gym or something I, 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 I only went there once because at that time I was living right up Seaton Carew and it was miles away from any gym mm. and because uh, we lived in a caravan for about six, seven, eight months and that was around about the time yeah and uh, so I only went there once and I thought it's too far because I lived, I was going to school on the other other side of the town, getting buses and all that. And by the time I got back home, it was just, it wasn't enough hours in the day, mm. even though I was only a kid. Yeah. So I thought, when I get closer to the town, or closer to a boxing gym, I'll go to the gym. And that's what I did. But I was, do, I was even though I knew how to box, because my dad taught me a little bit when I was a mm. kid. He used, he used to sit in the chair and say, try and hit me, try and hit me, son. And I'd be trying to hit him and he'd be blocking and all this. Yeah, thing, yeah. So I, I, I got learned how to throw the jabs and all that mm. off him. So when I went to the boxing gym for the first time, the, the trainer, Duncan White, said to me, have you boxed before? I says, no. He said, are you sure? I says, yeah, I'm positive, <laughs> mate. He says, yeah, you look like you've boxed before. But I, I hadn't. It was just natural, you know. Yeah. And like, so when I used to fight, I used to fight fists, you know. Mm bikers and, and people like that when I fought that bike I, I, I was 14 he was 19 mm. and I was just hitting him with a jab you know and bust his nose and that and he was trying to grab get hold of me and grab me and take me to the floor and I was just mm. hitting him with a jab and I thought I'm just going to soften him up with a jab and put this right hand on him and flatten him yeah but the, there was old women going past because it was like it was a Saturday afternoon it was busy and you know <laughs> we were just fighting and yeah <laughs> in like a main place and where well, loads of shoppers and old women getting so anyway there's Bobby's going past and they said uh, them two fighting so the 
police come runs run straight over. Everyone who was watching scarpered, just apart from me, me and the other lad. Yeah, yeah. And we just, we just got cautioned, but when he said, how old are you, son? 14, eh? And how old are you? 19. So he was embarrassed because he said, I didn't know you were only 14, I wouldn't have thought <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, well... It doesn't matter how old I am, you were going to get knocked out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the first time you went into the boxing club then, the gym, and got in a ring with someone, were you a bit apprehensive? No, no. Because I, 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 I could take a punch. Yeah. Because I'd had a few fights on the streets with older people. Once where, like once in Jutland Road when I had a, a fight with this lad who was a few years older than me and he sneaked he sneaked me, mm. bang, and hit me right in the lips like that. My lips come up like inner tubes. But he didn't drop me on out. I just took the shot. Yeah. And I went back at him. And then he, he, he caught me again. And he got, so mm. I had two, two big right hands off him. My lips were up there. And my eye was <laughs> up there. Of two shots. <laughs> oh, my God. But I still beat him. You yeah. Know? So I knew I, I had the fighting. I had the fight in me, you know. Getting hit never bothered yeah, you. Yeah, so no, never bothered me. I could take a good punch even from an early age, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then so the... when I went to the boxing gym and I got it in the ring, mm. when I used to take some leather to the face, it didn't bother me, you know. Yeah. And fighting on the streets then, was that all done like in a gentlemanly way or was there no rules to some of that stuff? Was it, did it get out of control? It was no, it was no rules, wasn't it? It was just you, you get kicked in the head and you, you, you do all that. Yeah. Everyone used to have the big Dr. Martins and all that then. And yeah. People would have uh, pretty long hair then, so you could grab hold of it, mm. pull someone's hair down, boot them in the face. That, yeah. that, a lot of that went on, didn't it? Yeah. A lot of that went on. I wasn't into that cape. I'd rather just use the fist, you know. What about the running battles on the soccer pitches? Did you ever get involved in any of them? No, I didn't. That wasn't my... Uh, my cup of tea, that. Yeah. I used to like watching it, but I didn't used to get involved. I'd, I'd rather mm. have one-to-one -one than just, like, gang fights, you know. But yeah, yeah. So Hartlepool, then, is where Mick Sorby's from. Mick, yeah. We had him on. It was a really solid story. Did you know Mick back in the day, then? I first met Mick when I was 19. He was on the door of Casper's. I didn't know who he was. I went uh, I went with my mate. Uh, it was about maybe it was about half one in the morning. Yeah. And uh, I said, it's a bit late now, mate. We're not, not going to get in. He says, oh, I need to see someone. So the door was shut, locked, you know what I mean? Mm. So he was banging on the door. Thinking, <laughs> and then the door opened and this bloke stepped out and said, fuck off. <laughs> Step back in. I thought, oh, the hell's that? <laughs> Little guy, solid, he was arms like Popeye. He just looked like Popeye, ripped, yeah. you know what I mean? I thought, I said to me, who's that? First time I see him, he said, oh, Mick Sorby. I'd never heard of him, never, you know, it's a length. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then he's banging on the door, Mick, let us in, Mick. I, think, <laughs> I said, oh, well, let's go. I thought, we were going to get kicked a bit, so yeah. Yeah. And after about five minutes of that, he said, oh, I need to see someone, bang, bang, bang. Make letters in anyway. The door opened. I was expecting a fist, fist coming out. Bang! He come in. Mick stood out in, on the come on the path and said, "Get in." So we went in and uh, had a drink and had my first uh, encounter with Mick Sorby. But uh, whenever I used to, I was always wary. I used to think, "Yeah, hell, you could see the power in him, you know." Mm -hmm. And then you'd hear the stories about him. Yeah, think, freaking hell, some boy him. 
And uh, so I used to watch him when I was on the door. Obviously, he didn't <laughs> didn't want to catch me looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to just uh, watch him and see how he conduct, conducted himself and, yeah. and all that. And he was always nice and polite. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and all. But whenever there was trouble, oh, he was brutal. He could fight, I think. Did you see him in action? Oh, yeah, numerous yeah. times, yeah. yeah. Numerous times, knocking people clean out and that. Who deserved it? Of course, Don't yeah. just... Not people out for nothing. Yeah, just yeah. People who deserve it, you know. Because he was running a team of doormen, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I ended up working for him, didn't I? Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Which club was that at? Oh, quite a few. Quite a few. Yeah. What kind of situations did you get in there? Well, just uh, I started working for Mick. Well, I was the late eighties, but I'd I'd already done a year. Mm. I'd, I'd done a year in this place with a, a group of other doormen and, mm. I, and I learned the ropes watching them, you know. Yeah. How to control the queues, how to do this, that and the other. So, and it was, it was a really busy place upstairs and downstairs and there was five of us, three downstairs and two upstairs and it was absolutely even. So I, mm. I learned the ropes with them for about 12 months before I started working for Mick. Yeah, yeah. And then I, went, then I, was, then I started working for Mick and... I worked at a place called The Klansman, which had a bad reputation, but I was only uh, 23 or something then. But I could fight, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I, I knocked a few out in, in The Klansman mm-hmm. and a few stripes there. So, Richie, what, what does it take then to be a good doorman? Because you see some people are really aggressive and you, you think, you know, they're going to kick off over anything, but other doormen are really, like, gentlemanly and just do the well, right thing. Back in my day... When there was no licences, there was, but you had to treat people with respect. You know what I mean, and, and you always give them the, give them a second chance. But you're always polite and be nice to people. Yeah, treat people with respect, and what have you, until they start crossing the line and being. Because some people take kindness for weakness, don't they? That's it. Yeah. So you find out who's who. Yeah. Just by the. Body language, and and you watch people. You just become aware of things. You have like a, I a, I a sense of you know a being, and, and and you're watching things, and you just yeah. you know when trouble's going to start before it starts. You know, yeah, you just yeah. know, and then you can go into trouble and say like, "Oh, we calm down." And some people will be, "All oh, right, I didn't mean I'm sorry." And mm-hmm. other people get aggressive, and they're the ones you need to say right anymore, and you're going out. And yeah. if they get aggressive, back in the day, we just no, you just bang, you just bang them out. Well, you couldn't now, but our way was like seen as barbaric now, but it was very effective, yeah. and it worked, and it stopped. You know, people would say, "Oh, you cause trouble in there, you're going to pay the consequences." Mm-hmm. Whereas now, they go and cause trouble and do whatever they want, can they? Because right. there's no there's no consequences now, is there? Yeah. If you've got a criminal record or anything like that, mm-hmm. you can't get a job on the door. But where, when in my day, the badge of honour was how good a fighter you were. You know, I, I worked with people who <laughs> the credentials were shoving shotguns down people's throats and things like that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that, that was the badge of honour. Who who were the hardest people to deal with then? Like people that were like completely drunk or on drugs? Oh yeah, oh, drunk. Oh, they were a nuisance, absolute nuisance. 
Ah, they just do your head in. And, and they're that drunk, you couldn't give them a clip. Because uh, in case they fell over, bang their head, and anything, you, you'd get done, wouldn't you? So you'd have to just grab hold and throw them out. And then they'd be, oh, back, just giving it that full of drink. you think, oh, my God. I bet they don't even know what they've done the next day, do they, no, when they sobered no, up? No. Don't, man. Yeah. Just nuisances. Yeah. Absolute nuisances. So we've do, done that quite a few years with Mixorby. Like. Was there any times when you clipped someone and they came back with a crew? Oh, yeah, well... Uh, I had a fight with 20 blokes once. 20 blokes? But I was I was on my own, but I was what pissed. I was pissed though, you know, so yeah. I can't remember it. Because, <laughs> again... You can't remember just, it? It's just, I can't remember it, no, because yeah. I was pissed at the time, but... I'd, I'd, I must have been fighting on memory. <laughs> but it's just what people who witnessed it were yeah. telling me, and all these doormen over there didn't get involved, they just watched it. And people were watching from windows, watching this fight go on. And I was pissed. So and a, pissed, a drunk man can't fight, but I, I was getting torn in. And uh, the reckon I put either eight or nine of them in hospital. But uh, I took a hammer and like, yeah. I was getting it over the head with bottles and uh, lumps of wood and, yeah. you know, and... I was like a buckled wheel, you know what I mean? I was getting kicked in the head and punched and from you know, the like pack of hyenas around you. Yeah. It was like that. You wasn't feeling it. No, I can't remember it. Bloody I can't hell. remember anything about it. The grief. I remember the all I remember is the next day two policemen coming to me <laughs> coming to me door. And I opened the door and said, uh, well, we'd like to speak to you about the uh, the fight last night. I said, What fight? I was still looking like the elephant man, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Nose all on my face, lips up my head, eye up my head, cutting the bits, bottles and lumps all over my head. And yeah. I had a big gash down the back of my head. And I said, what fight? I said, the fight, I says, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. They must have just looking at me as if to say, I just shut the door. <laughs> yeah. I thought, no, he's not going to speak to us. So How did you end up in the detention centre? Oh, uh, Medamsley. Yes. Yeah. That was, uh, oh, it was fines. I got two months for non-payment of fines. Right. And uh, I get, I done, I was in, Me I was in Lone Newton for a week. Mm. And then uh, I went to Medamsley. And uh, that was absolutely brutal. What a brutal place that was. They closed it down, didn't they? Did they? Yeah. They closed it down was brutal. You had to be a pure sadistic bastard to work there. Otherwise, you weren't cut out for the job. What was the conditions like? Vile. It was just brutal. You know, like a you see, you know, a boat camp. Yeah. But like a hundred times worse. Vile. You, on the morning, I think it was six, about six o'clock in the morning or half five, something like that. They'd shout, "Fall in!" So you'd have to wake up. You'd have to be down. Run along to these corridors, and you'd have to be in, stood up and lined up in this corridor within two minutes or something. While they counted you, these bastards. And if uh, if you weren't there, if you'd slept in, and oh, they used to drag you out. They used to boat you all over. Uh, they like ex-military or something. <clears throat> yeah, they were just ex-military, ex-prison officers. You know, from Wormwood Scrubs, from all over. They were they were pure bastards. The worst one out the lot was. Uh, 
the Jim Audley called Onslow. What a vile creature he was. I, uh, the very first day I went in, that was the next. Was the next day the very first meeting with him? All the new, all the new lads were getting marched to his office, and I was at the back, and because I was, I was just walking like that. I said, "Get him over on!" Right at my back. Oh, you fucking asshole! I thought, but I didn't move any, didn't move any faster. I just thought, "Oh fuck you!" So I was just what? Get him over on! Bang! Right. So I thought, no. Anyway, we got to his office and he wanted to make an example of me because there was others and there was this big screw there called Bulldog. Big, ugly-looking thing. And uh, Onslow wanted to make a, <coughs> make an uh, impression and an example because we were just in, just to tell the others, don't step out of the line, son. So Onslow, right, started raining punches on me I had my back up against the wall in his office and he was letting them go bang, 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 right? And they had no effect on me because I was just riding them, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So when they were, I was taking the sting out of them. Yeah. And when they were coming and 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 I could see he was frustrated. I know they were hitting me because I was taking the sting out of them. And... Uh, he was just, he was looking at me, the hate in his eyes. So because he, he couldn't do nothing with me while, when he was punching me, he grabbed hold of me, started smashing my head off the wall. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. So he smashed my head off the wall a few times. Wow. Yeah. And I just stood there, like as if they had no effect on me. And, and uh, I think he felt a little bit embarrassed. And that bulldog was like stood in shock. What he was watching, I think. And then the other lads were terrified of what they'd just seen. But I was like, that can just like, yeah. Did you the know? other lads look up to you after that? Well, yeah, they did, yeah, because the next the next day I got put on a garden party and uh, the hardest lad in the place was this big tall lad from Barra. I haven't got a clue what he was called. <coughs> Well, I said, oh, he's the artist in here. So I was all right, nice one. Then I'd done this set when he was on the garden party anyway. we So after work that day, when we'd finished, we all had to wash well. He, as I was I was coming off near last, and he was stood there at the front, washing his wellies, taking everything. It was a big queue, taking ages to wash all the shit off his wellies. And I thought, am I just going to stand on the end of the queue? I says, no. So I just walked up to the front of the queue, grabbed the horse pipe out of his hand. There was two screws that stood there. Grabbed the uh, horse pipe out of his hand and grabbed him by the throat and I said, I'll rip your fucking head off. And the screws were straight in, you know. And I thought, I'll make me mark now, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they just parted us straight away then, so there was no fight. It was just like a bit of a... bit of a... Well, just grabbed him, that was it. I didn't punch him because, you know, I just, there was no need to. I just wanted to make mark. And then he said, right, I'll want to fight you. But he was just talking when he didn't want to fight me. So on the next day, I jumped the queue to be in this, uh, in the stores. So they didn't put me back in the thingy no more. They put me, put me a nice little cushy number in the stores. So I was in there. And then all the old music. That's, I remember uh, Lionel Richie, Hello. 
that was number one because we used to have the radio on in there. And Is that, it me and that, you're looking for? Yeah, that one. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, well, that type was, was yeah. on the mute. So when I, I it reminds me of uh, back in there. But the regime in there was brutal. What was the sleeping conditions? Dormitories. Dorms. Yeah, and then they used to come in and expect, inspect you. Dorm. Yeah, oh, everything had to be clean. There's a whistle. You know, like military, you bedding and all that, all the like, yeah. square packs, and yeah. and they'd come in with tape, tape measure, and if it wasn't right and all that, they'd freaking turn your thingy upside down mm. and crack you and get that done. But it wouldn't just you; it'd be the whole, whole dormitory. Mm. So if there's four or six in the in the dorm, you'd all there uh, get it. So you'd all have to read it, so you'd always make sure that better be right, that better be right, and all that. Yeah. They were just bullying bastards, you know. They were bullying and still firing to you. Mm. And uh, there, there, was a, there was this lad in, he was built like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He looked like, uh, he had fair hair like Dolph Lundgren, but he was like massive. remember being on a visit, and his, his parents come in to see him, right? And soon as he saw them, he just burst out crying. Ah, I need to get out of here. I need to get out. Get me out. You know, he's crying his eyes out. <laughs> Did that thing, I think. But uh, oh yeah. But uh, and then you once a week you had to at the run called something called the fence. It was like two mile around the perimeter, but it was like fucking inclines and oh, it was brutal. So you used to run round have to run round there twice. And uh, once a week, but the screws would always be at the back, following you like Onslow and that. And if you were lacking on that, you used to then knock shit out of. They'd punch you, kick you, drag you around by your hair, your clothes, anything. They were proper brutal. I remember playing hockey. You know, first game of hockey we had. Onslow, do not lift the hockey stick above the height. If I see anyone doing that. They're gonna get it. Anyway, well, it's just natural, isn't it? If you've never played it before, <laughs> someone, right? Bang! Onslow went fucking off it, right? He wrapped his hockey stick right on the lad's head. Bang! Sparked them clean out. Knocked them clean out. Twitching the lad, honestly, nearly killed him. And I could see what Onslow get worried, you know. He was, fucking hell. He was worried. He flattened this lad. Yeah. It was bad. It was like just like getting it on the, on the head with a baseball bat. It was brutal him, vile. And uh, yeah, so and uh, the, everything everything was about brutality and strict regime and you bunny up and up and down the corridors and every anything just to make you uh, in pain, you know. And when you were on. Out training all the time, running here, running there, bunny up up that bank and and back. It was just brutal regime, and the, and the more pain you were in, the more they enjoyed it. Masochists. The way they were Sadists. really, really yeah, brutal. Yeah, yeah. They were honest. They were brutal, evil, yeah. evil people. And uh, yeah, so I was glad when I got out of there. But more uh, oh, fire players. They say short, sharp shock. I think that's what they were trying to do, Maggie but, but they, were f they were too brutal with it, you know. What about the food? Food was shite. Was it? Yeah. 
Absolute shite. I, I used to get boxing news magazines sent in, right? You know, you weren't allowed to get anything sent in. Yeah. My mother used to send me the boxing news in on a Friday. Yeah. So, you know, when they give you the letters, uh, they'd shout you out one at a time. Horsley. And I'd go up and they'd go to you. I'll give you this once. You're not allowed boxing magazines or any magazines. So tell whoever sent that in to stop sending them in. <laughs> I'll give you this one. Okay. So I never, so every weekend, every week I'd get them and they'd look, they'd give me them, you know, so it's all right. I must have got a little bit of a privilege because I was, uh, I don't know, their daddy. You want to tell the viewers about the big Doyle fight? Oh, that was, uh, oh, how old was it? Yeah, I got, because people in Hartlepool call, Idiots, Doyles. Right. It's just another word for an idiot or a crank, Doyle. So I was walking past the, I was only young, I must have been 18, 19, round about the Medemsley time anyway. And uh, I was walking past these three lads on, who were sat on a wall. And one of them was a big, big lad, really big lad. And he was staring at me, you know, when someone's just staring at you. And I thought, Shall I look at them or not? Because if I know, if I look at them, there's going to be conflict. And I thought, ah, I'll look at them. So I looked at them, and he was just staring at me intently. So I just said, oh, you're looking at your Doyle. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I walked past, and he jumped off. Oh, you're calling a Doyle. He was going off, and he just come at me. He was a big mush, a big fella. And he come at me, throwing these haymakers. I, I was slipping them, dodging them. I thought, if one of them landed, they took, <laughs> they took the head off. And uh, so I had, I had one eye on him and one eye on them two lads who were with him. And uh, I was thinking, so I was just dodging him, what he was throwing. And, I, and I, when I realised these two lads weren't going to jump in, because I thought they were just waiting for their mate to flatten me, you see. So I thought, well, we'll wait for him to, to knock him out. So well, I just, after that, I knew they, they weren't going to get involved. I just concentrated on him then. We threw a few punches and missed. The wind of his punches was part in my yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I had to like really concentrate. I thought, I'm going to concentrate, step in, step in with the right hand, you know, get the time and get the distance, Bam. step in with the right hand. And that's what I've done. I just stepped in with the right hand. Bang! What a shot. Good night. Landed bang on the button. It was just laid on still, stiff, stiff as a board. And as I was walking away, and the other two were like shocked, they stood over the mate trying to revive him. And I walked, I kept walking, I kept looking back, and he was just stiff. <laughs> he was stiff, he hadn't moved. So by the time I got out of view, I was thinking, oh my God, I hope he's not dead. I hope he's not dead, him. I don't think, I was thinking, oh my God. So I used to, I put the local news on the radio and I was fully expecting every hour, oh, a man was killed or blah, blah, blah. And, I thought, and when I had nerd out, I put the radio on the next morning, there was nothing, still nothing. I thought, he survived. I thought, thank God for that. I thought I'd killed him. Is that always that was a, the big Doyle fight. <laughs> is, that, is that always a consideration when you've got such a powerful punch that someone might die? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's part and parcel of it, isn't it? Isn't it, yeah. 
I was always prepared to die in a fight. Yeah. Always. That's what people say. You, you know the consequences, yeah. don't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was the Cliffy Mohan murder? Cliffy Mohan. Cliffy was a good friend of mine. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. We knocked about in the same circles and he was a good lad. When I was in, you know, before I went to Medamsley, when I was in Lone Newton, I was in with Cliffy. <laughs> he was doing six months, I can't remember what he was doing for, but he, he, he was a really canny lad. He was only 20 when he got killed. Mm. And it was at Casper's, he got killed at Casper's, uh, the nightclub where Mick Sorby was on the door. But Mick wasn't on the door that night. Oh. But uh, what had happened, there was, there was some carry-on inside show. Someone had punched, I don't want to go into full detail about it, but someone had punched someone in there. And then the one who got punched had phoned their family up. See, I know, I knew everyone involved were all friends of mine. Mm. I know everyone. So... So there came down, mob handed, and the person who punched that person had disappeared, and they were looking for him, and he'd gone. So, but everyone had spilled out then, out the, out the nightclub, and then there was just a big mass brawl, baseball bats, everything was getting used. So it was just, and then uh, Cliffy had walked onto summit. I don't know whether he got it with a baseball bat across the head or. Whatever, oh, and it really yeah. shook him up, and he, he staggered over the road and like just took his last breath in the gutter, you know. Oh dear. He was only twenty. Yeah. But everyone involved was all up the the lad who got charged with it, mm. got charged with his murder, was a friend of his. So they didn't know. Oh, struck Walkers was that many people fighting? He didn't get convicted just, then, did he? His friend. He got life. His friend? Yeah, he His got life. Friend. He got life, right. And But three years later, after three years, they let him out. Because yeah. what, what happened to Cliffy was just a tragic accident. Mm. You know, it could have happened to anyone. Yeah. So it was just, what happened to him was tragic. Yeah. So a couple of months after he got killed was his funeral. And uh, there was a massive turnout. Yeah. I always remember the front page of the paper, because I, I had it for years. Front page of the, mm. said, uh, final farewell. And I was like, a, there was coaches uh, laid on for his uh, funeral. It was a oh, big turn out, yeah. Because he got buried in a town called Billingham, which is not far from Hartlepool. Yeah, he was a good kid, uh, Cliffy. But uh, yeah, just one of them things. So Jamie Boyle has asked me to, if you give the full <coughs> details of the videotape story and how you ended up in prison for it. He's a twat, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing. Really, it? really embarrassing. No, Just for me, anyway. So what had happened? My mate, uh, my mate said to me one day, because I was going into the town, he said, uh, are you passing so-and-so a video shop? I says, aye. He says, yeah, he's my video card. Get us some videos out. I said, which ones do you want? He said, oh, just get any, pick any out. I says, all right, then. So I did. Went back there, I mean, there's a video. So, oh, Kushti. Well, I remember one of them was Scarface. Yeah. Scarface. Can't go wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, li he lived down Flamborough Walk. We were always around Flamborough then, you know what I mean? That yeah. was a notorious place. But if you knew everyone, they were all 
good. It's like everywhere else. If you know everyone, you're all part of the, you know, you know you're all part of the same clique, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So Flamborough had a bad reputation for outsiders, but it was a it was a good place. <clears throat> then, so my pal, once I give him them videos, well, that was his responsibility then, didn't it? Then he'd lent the videos out and they never, he never got them back. So the videos didn't go back to the video shop. <laughs> right? So they just installed a video camera that week. Mm. So they wanted to know who got the videos out and it was me. So I got locked up. I got charged. I got charged with the theft of the videos. I said, I haven't theft any videos. I said, nothing to do with me. I've got some videos out for, for my pal. So anyway, I, I got took the court for it. Well, at the time, it was, I was going to court on the Friday and I was moving house on the Friday. And the girl I was with at the time was nine months pregnant mm. and she was due to have the baby that day. So I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? So I thought, I'll go in. Because the uh, uh, court opened at half ten then. The magistrates, I said, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll plead guilty, then I'll get straight out, get on with the move, move and all that, the house move. So I went there and pled guilty and got remanded to Dedham Prison for 10 months, uh, 10, 10 days. I couldn't believe it. Eh? So I was on 20, because I'd pleaded guilty, I'd convicted myself. So I was straight on the normal wing. And I was on 23 hour bang up. Don't know what's for worse. For videotapes. Don't know what's worse, videotapes or hey. What, what's all that about? Did I mean, it's just like. It's been on your case, it's haven't they? ridiculous. Yeah. It? So, yeah, so. And then I went on, on the Friday, my daughter was born on the Saturday. What the hell? Yeah. So while I was in there. <laughs> crazy, man, crazy. While I was in there, uh, all the lads from the Cliffy Moan. Uh, they all got done for a fray and all that. So everyone was in there because they'd all, they'd all received the sentences then. <laughs> everyone was walking around the exercise yard. You'd have that group there mm -hmm. and that group there. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, unless, and uh, um, Paul Sykes. Paul Sykes was on the Sykes exercise. Was in there. Yeah, Sykes was in there. Did he stand out? But of his... he, yeah, well, I knew Sykes. Didn't know him personally, but I knew him because of my interest in the boxing, I'd been boxing and, and I'd, it was always controversial. You've heard a lot about him in the prisons and, and he's this and he's that and he's other. So as soon as I seen Sykes, I thought, look, there's Paul Sykes there. And I walked on the exercise yard and that. So the the way, was it on? I'll just say something else. There was a, a bloke who come in my cell. And he, was an, he was an old Middlesbrough icon, they reckon. I didn't know who he was, but it, it, it was. I found out later it was called Ronnie, Ronnie Keogh or something. And he was, a, and he was, a, he was telling me he was an artist, and he and he used to draw all these things, and he, he drew one about. Uh, he, he drew, <laughs> he, he won some award or something, and went and he drew this uh, about a, a baby coming out of a toilet, right? Come out of Crapper, this baby, and they, and he and he, all these people in prison, the 
and he had to show them it and he's bored. Oh yeah, and what what the call what the call that uh, I've called this birth of a governor. Baby coming out of a, out of a toilet. He said, the fuck, he said he could have had a pin drop. <laughs> birth of a go, birth of a governor. So, but he used to mm. he used to go and see the doctor in the morning. He used to take have to take this stuff, and he used to be like out of his tits, you know, on the bed. Gone. So he would never ever go on uh, exercise because he couldn't get off the bed. He was he was out of it for a while, a good few hours anyway. Anyway, one Sunday, well, the Sunday before I was at court, I seen Sykes, he stood next to me, well, just outside my cell. And I'm, you know, I'm walking away, I'm thinking, what the fuck's he want? What's he stood there for? I'm thinking, I'm at court tomorrow. I'm thinking, I hope he's not, someone said, oh, this is at court tomorrow. I've got a bit of trouble with him, so he, he gets fucking locked up. <laughs> so he was staring at me and I thought, oh, fucking hell. What did he look like? Because a lot so, of the viewers, I mean, we've... We've done, for the viewers watching this, not familiar with Paul Sykes, <coughs> uh, we've done a, numero, a number of audio books. We've published them for Jamie Boyle, Sweet Agony, Unfinished Agony, the Agony series. And um, I didn't know about Sykesy, but through doing these audio books, good God, this guy's story. Do, do you want to just explain what oh. he looked like and who he was a little, for the, for the viewers yeah, who not like familiar? Yeah, he was six foot three. He had a tash, but he was... 16 stone, ex-professional boxer, bare knuckle fighter. He was just a, a menace. How big were his hands? Oh, I didn't know. I, did. I never got to feel them. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> as I was well, as, as we were walking past him, they were looking at us. I, I ignored him. <laughs> and I was I got to <laughs> myself. I looked up and looked at him. I said, yeah. And then walked in the cell and slammed the door. Because he, he was on the bed anyway. K-Lide, wasn't he? Yeah. He, and then I thought, and he was, oh, fucking dog. And I just said, eh, what a shout, oh, fuck off, idiot. I thought, and then he was fuming. Was he? Yeah, and I thought, I'm glad I'm a cop tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like only 21 then. I was like yeah. 12 and a half stone. Yeah, yeah. I was no match for him then, you know? Yeah. So he'll have been looking for me the next day or whatever. <laughs> but I was at court. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when I when I went to court the next day, I was a different judge, and he and he said, "Why has this man been sent to prison? Videotapes? He couldn't believe it." <laughs> so I got let out. Good, got a bit of a fan. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was my little brief encounter with uh, Paul Sykes. Was that you? You didn't have any. You didn't. So I'm glad any. I didn't go back because it would have I been know, a big you'd encounter. For you, would you? Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. So you never ran into him again then? No. Yeah. Thank God. I would have been, for another five or six years on me, when I was a, you know, a bit more about me, uh, it would have been a different story, you know. Yeah. But then, I don't, I, would, I don't think I'd have been a match for him then. So the other big character that Jamie Boyle has educated me about is Lee Duffy. And actually, Wild Man... Wildman ended up in some prison in that area and he came back with tales of Lee Duffy and the taxman and Viv Graham and he, he's always like had an interest in them. Yeah. What was your knowledge of Lee Duffy? Did you ever meet him? Never ever met him, mm. even though he came to my house before. He came to your house? Yeah, he came to my house, not just to meet me. Yeah. With with my friend, my 
because my pal was a good friend of Lee's. Yeah, yeah. Being in prison with him and all that. And he yeah. used to talk about Lee all the time. Mm. I'm gonna t I'll take you through to Middlesbrough to meet him. Yeah. Next time I go through, because he used to go through, he used to do deals with Lee and, mm -hmm. and they're good friends. But there was no mobile phones out then. And, you know, because yeah. you could, right, I'm going to Lee's tomorrow. I'll, p I'll pick it up at such and such. So there's none of that. Or I'll, I'll be around in half an hour. None of that then. So a couple of times he'd been to my house to pick me up to go through to Leeds to see Lee and I, I was never in. And then one time when he was in Hartlepool with Lee, he came to my house and I wasn't in. So uh, I just missed him all the time. Yeah. But I, I know he was in Hartlepool that day because he was he came into RJ's and my mate took him in RJ's and Mick Sorby was in. Mm. And met Mick and all that. So I knew he was, he was telling the truth, you know. Yeah. But he used, he used to, Tell me all sorts about Lee, you know. When I was working the door with him, mm. he'd say, oh, there's this lad, D Lee Duffy from Middlesbrough. My God, the best fight I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. He told me about, he was in the gym and he knocked these three blokes out in the gym in some prison. And three, he said there was three hard, hard men. He said, and he knocked three of them out one after the other. At the same time, he said, I've never seen it. He says, I've never seen anything like it, Richie. He said, he's the best fighter I've ever seen. That was, and that's what he was saying. That was what Nick he, said. No, that, that's what uh, this my, my mate, Andy. Oh, Andy said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about Lee. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he got into a bit of a squabble with Lee. And uh, he had a bit of an argument. He says, uh, Lee hit him with a body shot and broke his ribs. He says, the worst pain I've ever been in my life. He says, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah. He says, he was, uh, he was someone else in Lee, he said. But uh, yeah, I just unfortunately never missed, I never uh, met him. Did you ever meet Viv Graham? No, but I nearly did. Yeah. I nearly did because uh, I had a fight with this bloke and bust him up, broke his jaw, blah, blah, blah. And because uh, the, they were well connected, so they got Viv Graham involved and Viv Graham was going to come down and do me. And, and I just said, well, Phil Graham knows where I, I work, I'll be on the door there. Because Viv Graham was, I thought me and Viv Graham were 50-50. He was an ex-heavyweight boxer. I was, he was a bare knuckle fighter. I was a street fighter. He was a bouncer. I was, he'd done the weights, I didn't. So I had, I thought I was a bit more faster. I had, I had the speed. Back then, I mightn't look like I've got the speed now, but I'm six foot one and twenty stone. Yeah, but yeah. Back then, I was like seventeen stone. Wow. And a lot faster. Mm. So I thought we were fifty-fifty, but we've had this name, and the people saying, "Oh, Viv Graham's coming down for you." And I used to, I wasn't bothered. I used to think, "Well, let him come down." I thought we've got a fifty-fifty fight here. There was a big car park at, at the side of the uh, bar where I used to work. I thought they'd come down. We got on that car park. Yeah. But uh, he, he made inquiries. He'd done his homework, made mm. inquiries about me, and then never came down. But I'm glad he didn't because some, one, of my, one of us might got killed. But this was about 92. So, and, he, and he got killed in my 93 anyway, didn't he? I'm not saying I would have beat him. I might have beat him, might not have. You'll never know. But it was a, I thought it was fifty fifty that. And I thought I, I thought I would have shocked him. But I seen the videos where he, he done that 
Stu Watson. Is that the one on YouTube when yeah. he goes in with his mates? Yeah. 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 And I, and I wasn't impressed just with the punches. I thought if you hit me with them, you wouldn't have done that with me, you know? Yeah. But uh, I don't like speaking ill of the dead, you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. What about the deaths of both those guys then, Duffy and Graham? Do you think they were living such wild lifestyles that something was going to happen sooner or later? Like, well, yeah, you can't keep living like that, can you? Yeah. Like you say, so much going to happen. You, mm. you, you don't live in the old age no. doing that, do you? No. You're going to get took out sooner or later, even if it's by accident. Yeah. Like Duffy getting getting his uh, what was it artery cut and bleeding mm. out, you know, things like that. And obviously, Vivs was a hit, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, but you know, you live that lifestyle, yeah. Sooner or later, you're gonna uh, pay the price, aren't you? What was the hurriest situation you ever got in? I've been shot at. Uh, what was that over? Doing someone a favour. You know, uh, you know someone a favor. Doing someone a favor can get you killed, can't it? Absolutely. I just got shot at and bullets missed. Anyway, where were you when you got shot at? It was just through. Uh, it was out of town. We were going to watch a bare knuckle fight, and it wasn't. It was just a setup. Uh, and uh, yeah, so were you in the car or were you at- outside? Yeah, I was with Vulture. Right, <laughs> me and Vulture. <laughs> <laughs> And a couple of others we got shot at, and anyway, we got away. How close did the bullets come? We just whizzing past your head. Bloody hell. Putting the... Uh, so they meant business then? Yeah. Well, I mean, it could have been... could have took your eye out, or it just... You know, flying past like angry bees. Yeah, yeah. And then you hear the smashes, and the wind is going up in the car, mm. and the van, and that. So that that was areas. And what was your then, what was your plan to get out of that situation? Then did you just put your foot down or someone jumped in jumped the van in, and the van. off? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, another time, uh, uh, I was in a locky back with uh, I can't remember what it was I think it was Mick Sorby, and uh, the armed response come in. There's Richie Arsley in here. Says yeah, why? Says I oh, would just like just wanted to know, but. What had happened was there was this, there was a bloke lying in wait for me over the road to shoot me. Was there? <laughs> yeah. And someone who knew about it must have had a guilty conscience. Yeah. And thought, I can't live that with that on my conscience. And they must have phoned the bobbies. There's someone lying in wait with a gun for to shoot Richie. And, uh, Did so, you ever find out what the motive was on that one? No, not really. Mm. Could be anything, really, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So... That, and then another one when I beat I beat this uh, I beat a drug dealer up, uh, big lad. Broke his jaw, broke his nose, broke his ribs, and uh, uh, he was embarrassed. And my friend says to me, Richie, take that serious, because cause he shouted, "I'm gonna have your shot." Uh, you heard loads of people say that. They said, "I just say, yeah, well, I it just goes over your head." Yeah. So. My mate who was, into, who was involved in serious crime, and he says, first time that's ever happened to him, Richie, so he'd be embarrassed, take it serious. So got someone to inquire about it, and there was a hit put out on me, and there was someone coming to put a bullet in me, and uh, but that got stopped. 
So, so there's three times I've dodged the bullet. The <laughs> and when you did that to him, was that in the club? Is that why he was embarrassed? Because it was a public no, thing. I done I done him in a public car park outside some shops. Gotcha. Yeah, I just followed him in the car. Yeah, yeah. I was with Mick Sorby, and uh, right. he pulled over and. Because he followed, we knew he was following. Him. I pulled, he pulled up mm. outside some busy shops, so he didn't think nothing was going to happen. But there was no CCTV on the shops then, mm. so got uh, got out. He says to me, "What's going on, mate?" I says, "You know what's fucking going on." Bang, bang, bang. I give him it. Yeah. And uh, just the lifestyle we were living back then, you know. Yeah, yeah. So who was the Sunderland's Ernie Bewick? Ernie Buick. Buick. Ernie Buick. Yeah. yeah. He's like a very well respected man in the northeast. He's ran Sunderland for years. Did he? he was such a lovely, lovely man. A gentleman, but an absolute animal yeah. of a fighter, you know? Yeah. He used to look after all the raves and that, and all mm. the pubs and the clubs. And there used to be a rave through uh, Sunderland called the Blow Monkey. And he used to look after that. Yeah. Uh, he was some boy, him. My mate, oh, Andy, who was laid off his pal, he used to, I, he used to talk to me, oh, hey, let's go to the blow monkey. I said, oh, no, it's not my scene, it's not my scene. So anyway, I went one night with him. I just, I went, no, it wasn't merely my cup of tea, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone off their tits and that. And so I met, that's the first time I met Ernie Buick then. And uh, I thought, nah, it's not for me. And we'd go back to after parties and that in Sunderland and that thing. Oh, it used to take me two or three days to recover, you know. <laughs> because we iron this into them and that into them. And <laughs> driving, they used to have this big black car. It was, uh, he used to call it the cockroach because it was uh, it was all blacked out windows and all that. Wow. We'd be driving all hours of the freaking morning and all that, and obviously tits on E and that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Tore down, big turbo mm. thing. You know what I mean? And... Yeah. Uh, and then I met Ernie a few times after that. I was there when he'd done the Street Fighter interview for the Street Fighter book. And, uh, and also uh, when he was looking after the After Dark in Sunderland. After Dark, uh, Mix, I went through Mick Sorby and Keno. And uh, we went to, went out the back in, the, in his office, Ernie. And Ernie had his sandwiches and all that. And he'd take his sandwiches and that. And I uh, met him there, love, lovely bloke. But the, the the I don't know it was the the raves when they first started there was all love and everyone was all lovey and lovey and then it started to turn a little moody. bit paranoid really yeah. bad and people were muscling in and wanting controls of the door and control of the e and so people nasty people come from all over anyway so I went through there. Uh, the eclipse, and you know, I worked through. I was only that. I was. I done about six weeks with them on the doors and that, and in in there, and it was like just. It wasn't like a lovey dovey rave. It was like intense. It was a bad atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like you could feel it. People were looking at you, and you think, and people from all over. There was like gangsters from all over coming in and muscling, and you think. I was thinking, ah, oh, these. You could, you could walk past people and you could feel the hate, you know, towards you. You could feel the hate coming off them. <laughs> I'm thinking, I haven't done anything to him, but why, why do they hate me so much? But it was like that. I'd done six weeks of it and I thought, ah, 
oh, fucking, it's not my cup of tea, this. I says, yeah, I'm wrapping this in, David, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. So, uh, but there was people from all over, you know, up there working from Liverpool and all over, you know. So there was some canny lads there. Dave had some canny lads up there. And, uh, but uh, I got out of it. It wasn't my cup of tea, so I went back in there, uh, went back to Hartlepool and working the doors there with, with Vulture and them, uh, you know. You had a situation with Charles Bronson. Oh yeah, it was that was was not really? I don't think it was. We were going to have a fight because, you know, he does his drawings and his art. Well, I was I was supposed to be guest of honor. It was kept writing to me, "You're guest of honor at my art show." Blah blah blah. And I, I never I never went anyway. Cut long story short, I ignored all the calls. I ignored the. Phone the bloke. I was the bloke was trying to get in touch with me, and I wasn't. Oh, I thought I can't bother. So I never went. So anyway, the art show was over, and I got a letter off Bronson's that your game disrespecting people, blah blah blah, and, uh, trying to pull a guilt trip on me. It's for Zozos piss or and all that. So I wrote him a letter. Say, who the fuck you think you're talking to? You, who do you think you are? You're nobody. You know all that. I give him the full spiel. Yeah. yeah. Think you're hard, man. But have you knocked out bums in bars? Nobody else. Have you, have you fought? Have you ever fought a trained fighter? No, I'm a trained fighter. I've fought at a much higher level than you. Blah 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 blah, and all that. And anyway, and I thought once he reads this letter, he's gonna be doing two hundred press, press ups a minute with my face there. And he's, oh, what I'm carrying, I'm carrying. So anyway. A representative of Bronson's phoned me up and, no, no, sent me a letter and then uh, I had to phone him up and spoke on the phone and he said, will you fight Charlie? I says, yeah, fucking right, I will. He said, uh, be good good money for you. I says, yeah, definitely, I'll fight him, yeah. He said, uh, like was Joe Pyle Senior, Roy Pretty Boy Shaw, you know, they were like involved in the background and... It was all them boys and they were going to put it on and Bronson was getting parole and I thought, right, as soon as he gets his parole, we we're going to get it on, you know. And so I started training. What year was this? 2003. Right. It was like 18, 18 wow. years ago, yeah. Was it 2003, 2002, something like that. And uh, so I started doing a bit of training and I had trained for years and I was, so I was just, I thought, I got. I thought Bronson wouldn't last around with me. That's what my my mentality. I thought he wouldn't be able to take the because I was a big hitter. I thought he wouldn't be. Able to, I wouldn't have to train that hard. I'd just uh, take him out inside inside around. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he'd be he'd come out with the traps like a madman, wouldn't he? So if he just weather that storm and then hit him out the counter, and uh, I just I was very confident of beating him. Anyway, he. he Lost his parole and mm. the fight never come off. So I was a bit uh, gutted, to tell you the truth. Because mm. uh, anyway, I I thought because they used to ask for me to fight down London unlicensed, and I never did. I thought, oh, I'll go on, I'll do this unlicensed. So I went. So I I got in training, the first fight I've ever trained for in my life, you know. So I trained correctly for this fight, even though I was thirty eight year old. I was past it. In boxing centres. I was fighting this guy who had 40 odd fights. And I thought, yeah. But well, I was top of the bill at Hammersmith Palais. 
top of the bill, you know. So and I was at so I was, I was Hartlepool's very first ever unlicensed boxer. So anyway, there was loads from Hartlepool went. Do you think you were in Hartlepool, not London? <laughs> and, and so it was that hot. It was like the hottest day in July, and it was it was stifling hot. There was two thousand people there. It was you couldn't breathe. So I went outside and got some fresh air. I thought, I'm gonna flag out here. So I stood there getting some fresh air. Scrolling <sighs> down, it was nice and quiet. And I seen this bloke walking towards me, like an old bloke. And as I was getting close, I think, I know his face. You know, he looked some, he was old, but he looked familiar. And uh, it was, uh, he winked at me, smiled, and, and, and then he, he went in the venue, and I thought. And it was, uh, the mastermind of the great train robbery, Bruce Reynolds. <laughs> and he was ringside. He he was ringside at the fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, all the chaps were there, like George Pyle Senior, Dave Courtney, Roy Pretty Boy Shaw, just oh, Cass Pennant, uh, Carlton Leach. You know, all all them boys. They were all there. They, they loved all that care. And uh, I came out and boom, I, I knocked Tony Lewis out and I, I knocked him out and uh, broke his ribs with a body shot. How long did that fight last? 90 seconds. 90 seconds? He was counted out in 90 seconds, yeah. Holy shit. I know. I was on the ball there. How were you so effective then? Was it, was it strength, strategy? Speed, had you looked at like his style? Yeah, I, I, I watched a video of him and I knew I knew his style. I thought he, he was one of them messes, you know, he danced, you know, one of them who have the hands dance down around. and move about and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And I thought if I just stand off him and uh, I'm going to be blown out my ass after two rounds and he's just going to mess me about. Yeah. And uh, so I just thought, as soon as that bell goes, I'm just going to jump on him. Yeah. Cut the ring off <laughs> so he has nowhere to go and keep fainting. Faint the right hand and bring the body shots in. And that's that's what got him. That's what got him. I, I, I took me 90 seconds. I was just cornering him, cornering him, and he was dancing around. And I was, just, I was just waiting to set the trap, you know. Once I set the trap, I got him on the ropes and I went like that to th throw the right hand to throw the right hand, but it was a feint. And he went like that. And when he went like that, I just brought this left hook in. Bang! Oh. Sweet shot. Hit him right in the rib. Broke his ribs. He went down. Oh, he was gone. He said to me afterwards, he said, yeah, that's the hardest body shot I've ever been in. That knocked with. him out, the body shot? Yeah. Wow. He didn't get up. He said, that's the hardest body shot I've ever been hit with. Bloody hell. And the promoter, who was called Tell Kerry, or was like that with Roy Shaw. Yeah. Uh, Tell said, oh, he was uh, he was being sick in the uh, changing room afterwards. Him. <laughs> Is there anywhere you can watch that? Is it on YouTube or anything? There's a little tiny clip of what I was going to show you earlier on. I'd love to Remember? see that.
overtime there. Don't get paid for overtime in this game. So that was uh, so that was the first unlicensed boxer from Martinpool, but I, I never used to train, did I? I hated training, so I just turn up fight after fight after fight yeah. without training. I used to do a lot of fighting without having to train. I wasn't, a, I didn't like training, mm. didn't like running. You know, yeah. big lazy get. We made Kevin Bennett because I got called crazy ass. Yeah, uh, that was my nickname. Because of my interest in the American Indian and <laughs> and my free fighting days, he used to call me crazy or But Benny, my mate Benny, used to call me lazy horse. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I got this fight when I was thirty nine. I was thirty nine, come up forty down London against this monster of a heavyweight. But I thought I'm not training. I'll just go down. I'll just get stuck in and see first round, see if it can take me power, knock him out, get paid, I'll go home, lovely. But I came down with a bad head cold on the on the Monday. The fight was on the Thursday. Mm-hmm. By the time the fight came on the Thursday, it come right through my body. I was weak as a kitten. And I, I shouldn't have got in the ring, but I'd sold tickets and, and I didn't want to let anyone down. I should have pulled it out. I pulled out, but I says, I said, the only way I'll get her in the ring is if you cut the fight to three rounds. I says, because I cannot do any more than that. I, I had no strength in my body. Mm. And uh, I got in, I looked like a big fat mess. <laughs> I, was a, I was disgraceful. Mm. But uh, I showed a hell of a lot of art. I had no strength in my body. So when I was throwing punches, I couldn't keep them off because I had, I had no power. I had no, I, I had no power. No power at all, so I just soaked it up. Mm-hmm. A lot of punishment, just soaked a hell of a lot of punishment up. And uh, But the thing about that was the people in the crowd really appreciated my gutsy display and my courage and my heart. Roy Pretty Boy Shaw and all, and they all came up to me afterwards. My God, that display of art was unbelievable. There, there was a, this guy called uh, Gypsy Joe Smith, and uh, he was a, he's a bare knuckle fighter, unlicensed boxer, and professional golfer. How mad is that, <laughs> Gypsy Joe from London? <laughs> and uh, he come up to me, he says, Richie, my God, what a display of courage! What a heart you've got, that big as a lion. He said, uh, I could see the glimpses, just glimpses of when you were younger, and I thought, I bet you were some formidable. For when you were when you were younger, he says, "I'll tell you what, Richie, I tip my hat to you." And I thought that was nice. That the Carlton Leach comes straight over, Richie. My God, Richie, you won. You're a winner. You're a winner. That display there, you are a winner. He says, "No loser tonight." Even though you lost that decision because I went the distance, he says, uh, "You are a winner, mate. You are a winner." So things like that off them people and Roy Shaw was fucking Roy Shaw was on his feet. 
<laughs> he absolutely loved it. So for all I, I took Amaran, I came out a winner because of me had the display of courage I showed and the amount of punishment I took, and I just took it, took yeah. it, took it. Yeah. And uh, and it, even it was my worst display of in a fight ever. And you know what I mean. So some of the characters you mentioned, um, Joey Pyle Senior. We interviewed Joey Pyle Junior. We interviewed David Courtney. Uh, we interviewed one of Lambrianos. Did you end up like going out on the town with those guys afterwards, or? Uh, I did with Dave Courtney. He's a character, isn't he, yeah. Dave Courtney? But I, I didn't with uh, any of the others. But obviously, I knew them and had a drink and a chat with them. Did he have his Camelot Castle back then? Yeah, yeah. Did he? I didn't go back there though. Yeah, <laughs> I was meant. I've been invited loads of times, but I never. Yeah. Went. So you had a fight with a category A prison guard. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened was he was a he was a cat A prison guard, but he'd been kicked out of the service because mm. he had a I don't know how many he had a few thousand ecstasy in the boat of his car. What the hell? Yeah, so he got he got kicked out. He never went to prison or anything like yeah. that, so I don't know what happened to him. But he got kicked out. But one of my friends was in prison, and in there was a, how can we call him, a businessman. There was a businessman in there who wanted me to sort this guy out. And uh, because this guy was shagging his missus. Ooh. <laughs> So I didn't know, I just, knew, I didn't know he was a cat air, former cat air scrub and got kicked out for selling E and all that. And mm. So I just, I, w I went to this lockup where we were supposed to be because we were getting paid. To, and uh, he wasn't there, the lockup was shut. So I, I took my pal with me. I said, oh, well, let's go and get something to eat and come back. And with me being a big greedy get, we had, uh, the full breakfast and all the all the trimmings and that. And I was I was full as a bed tick, you know. Yeah. So when we were driving back to this lock, I was thinking, I was oh, full as a gun. I was thinking, I said to him, I thought, oh, I hope he's not in this lock up here because if he gets me in the stomach, I must be on my ring. But anyway, we got there and he was there. So I went in. And he said, "Are you so and so?" Oh yeah. Right, well, uh, I'm here to tell you to stop doing what you're doing. Blah, 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 blah. And he, yeah, have some of this. Bang, bang. And I just knocked seven colours of shit out of him. Then got paid nothing. That was it. Job was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What were the brass fights? It was a lad called Brass. Big time Charlie. Hard, hard case. I knocked him out in a in a pub because he was being clever. I would, you know, I was giving me the. I pushed, I pushed past him at the bar, and he was giving it all out to me. So anyway, I ended up. I knocked him out, and he said I, I hit him with something and all that, but he was embarrassed about it. So he got some. He got. He put. Two grand price on me head like thirty years ago. So two, so we had all idiots coming from all over trying to take this two grand, but I, I was knocking them all out. <laughs> you know, so mm. no one ever collected. Mm. So 
there was some trouble in this pub and I was called to go to this pub. But by the time I got there, it had been sorted out and there was no trouble there. But when I, when I walked in, that brass was there. Oh, a load of, load of lads, I thought. Oh, shit, like walking in. Yeah. Enemy camp type of thing. <laughs> so I turned around and like made a sharp exit. And as I was walking across the car park of the car, I shouted, Ow, yo! Turned around. <laughs> he, was stood, he was stood there, all mm. the lads behind him. Oh, do you think you are coming in my fucking pub trying to sort you out? Fuck off and all that. This, that, and the other. Yeah. I, just, I just ignored him. I thought, if I start out there, I'm going to kick the death. Yeah. So I jumped in the car. <laughs> Flew straight over a boozer where Vulture and them were. I told him what had happened. I says, oh, well, let's get over there now. Let's get it on. I'm going to get it on with him in the car park. <laughs> I said, there's loads of them, so just watch me back. Yeah. I said, oh, right, come on. So we flew back over. And by the time we got, well, it wasn't long. When we got back there, walked in the boozer. He was sat on his own. All them had gone. They've said, he's coming back here. Let's get out of here. He's coming back, guarantee it. So that's what they thought. He's coming back with a posse and they're going to get... Yeah, so they had yeah. disappeared and he was sat on his own. So I said, no way, being you in the car park. No, I'm not going out where they are. I said, they're not going to do anything. There's just me and you. They're going to stand aside. We'll just fight. No, fucking not fighting where they are. I says, come on. Got my guarantee, they won't do anything. Then he stood up, sat, giving a raising his voice. I fucking said, and I thought, oh, you fuck your bang, bang. I hit him twice, poleaxed him, and then I hit him with a body shot, and he was finished, like fucking. Obviously, he broke his ribs, broke his jaw, and all that. He was in hospital for a bit. So, like, he'd put money on me head, and whatever. And that, that was them daft fights. That was the brass fights. Did he stay quiet after that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. So, like, early on, you got in trouble for the hay. And um, what was the other thing you got in trouble for that you shouldn't have got in trouble for? The videotapes. The videotapes. Do you think, like... Not exactly career criminal, was it? I never classed oh. myself as a criminal. You but, know. but do you think, like, you got in trouble for those lightweight things, but then you did all these heavy things and that you never got in trouble oh, for. Oh, yeah, so balance itself out, yeah. didn't it? Yeah, yeah. When you look back on your life now, do you think you're lucky that you didn't do serious prison time or yeah, get seriously very, very hurt lucky. or anything I like that? never killed anybody as well. Yeah. No, very, very lucky. What What were the, like, the, the most injuries you ever got? Broken hands. Broken hands from hitting people. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, like when I had three fights with uh, Brian Suckland, who I called the caveman, how mm. nobody died, how none of us died in them three fights, it just beggars belief, you know? Yeah. How long were those fights and what was... There was uh, The first fight was, I'd been working all day and uh, from 12 o'clock to 12, it was a New Year's Eve, so... And it was about four o'clock in the morning, so I was, I'd had a good drink. And uh, we were at this party. And uh, I'd went to the, I went upstairs to the toilet, and there was a bit of a commotion on the landing because there was a, there was this cockney lad trying to get in, into the bedroom where this young girl was. Mm. And they were saying, get out and all that. And, and uh, apparently I'd give him a clip, but I can't remember. And uh, so he was with, 
But I suck when I was saying, get him down here, I'm going to kill him and all that. But I was too drunk. So as I walked down the stairs, I just sat on the stairs and uh, sat there for about 10 minutes and thought I was sobering up, but obviously it wasn't. So I went out in the garden with them, with him, Brian, the caveman. And uh, as soon as I stepped foot on the... It nearly took my head off with the right hand and I just boom, went down. And he got on top of me and started smashing me to bits. And I was that drunk, I couldn't defend myself. And he was just, but the Cockney lad, who I'd clipped, was booting me in the head at the same time. So I took an axe out, hammer on, but Brian was on me, smashing me bits. And, the, and I kept thinking, like, uh, stay with it, stay with it. Because I thought, I could feel myself slipping away. Because he was hitting me that hard. Because he was a big lad, big 16, 17 stone. And he could bat, he could hit, you know what I mean? Because he'd knocked loads and loads of lads out. He was, everyone was like scared him because he, he, he was a fighter. And then he, he just smashed me to bits. And I was just slipping away and slipping away and saying, stay with it, stay with it. With strong mind. And then what a, seemed like, and it seemed like an attempt, he got off us. And uh, I was smashed to bits. And uh, took a bit of uh, recovering from it, you know. Two big black eyes and that fair lips out here, just what a mess. And then it, I went through the healing period and then I got a phone call one night of, you know, that cockney lad who was kicking you in the head and that he, he's in such and such nightclub. I said, all right, is he? Right, so I went down, didn't even know what he looked like or nothing. And uh, I said to the bouncers, because I got pointed them out, I said to the bouncers, because I had my pint right. This is like the Keystone Cops, this. <laughs> I said, one of the bouncers, I knew, I said, see him there. Tell me you want a word with him for smoking, you believe he's been smoking dope or whatever, and bring him out the back door. So they took. I went in the back door waiting for him. And I, I was just stood, it was just like a little thingy, there wasn't much room in a load of stairs. So I was sat, I was stood having a drink of my pint, and the door opened. And this lad was like stood right in front of me. The, and, and I had this pint in my hand and I was like, what have I done? So I just dropped my pint, went for him, slipped in the drink <laughs> and started heading towards the, like down the stairs. <laughs> Honest, I was like, it was like a, a comedy moment, <laughs> like the Keystone Cops. So I right, reached out, grabbed all of them, dragged them down the stairs with me. So we went tumbling down the stairs. Mm. And then once me equilibrium and all that got, got sorted out, we, he tried to fight back, but I just had too much venom in my punches and I punched seven colours of shit out of him mm. and then dragged him down the rest of the stairs and left him in a heap outside the back door. I thought, that'll send uh, uh, the messages out to the caveman that I'm, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to come for him now, you know, because yeah. I've got me. Once you're healed and you, you get your mind right, you wanna, you wanna straighten it with him, because everyone thought he was like the best man in the town and all this that and the other, and and he his status rose like that when he beat me, you know. So it was inevitable. We were gonna fight. So when I was ready, I got Vulture to watch me back, and uh, another lad. We went up there to where he was in this club, 
And uh, I looked through the window and there he was. He had his back doors, but there was a load of them. Banged on the window. They all looked and then he seen me. He stood up like that. I said, me and you, get out there. So when he come out, he just shouted, you are, you want another good idea? I says, yeah. So I, he, he came at me with a big right hand and I, I just blocked it, but moved in out the way to take the sting out of it. And I hit him with a right oak, a right uppercut, left oak, dropped him. And then I got on top of him and smashed fuck out of him. But I was talking to Vulture on the phone last night and he mentioned that and he says, when you were smashing him to bits like that's like that, Richie, he says, yeah, you turned on me. I says, did I? He says, yeah. He says, you were in such a zone. He says, I grabbed Oldie and says, that's enough, Richie. He's had enough, he's had enough. He says, you turned on me. He said, fucking get off me. He says, and then you continued smashing them to fuck. Yeah. He says, and he, he was like choking and gargling on blood. And he, he, fucking, he says, I thought you'd killed him. And I was saying, Richie, it's me, Vulture. Richie, come on now, get off him. I just wanted me revenge after what he'd done to me, you know. So I've done that. And then Vulture says, uh, when, he, when he went home that night, when he was laid in bed, he was shaking. He says, it was adrenaline. He says, the adrenaline was, he says, and... His wife, Leslie, was saying, what's wrong with you, Paul? What's happened? What's happened? And he says, I think Richie's just killed somebody. Bloody hell. He lived. Yeah. He lived. Yeah, he lived. Did Luckily. He did he start any shit with you after that? I think was he was that out. the end of it? I think he was in a bad way, like. Was he? But he lived. So that was the end of that beef then? No. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh <dear. laughs> this is a hell of a story. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. uh, one night we, we were out on Vulture's birthday and walked in this pub and I seen him, the caveman at the bar with his missus and another couple, another couple and I thought, I'll just ignore it. I thought, that beef's squashed for me, it's dumb. And then, but unbeknownst to me, people have been saying to Brian, uh, the caveman, you're holy fucking scared of Richie, you'd have had another fight with him by now, you're scared of him. That was playing on his mind. So when he, so I was aware, I walked, I walked around the other side of the bar, but I was aware of them, you know what I mean? So I watched them leave and I thought, oh, that's it, they've gone. And I didn't watch where they went, I just seen them leave. And then, but as we, were, as we were leaving the bar, <laughs> as we were leaving the bar, right? Few, a couple of the lads went out first. Fulcher was talking to the doorman because it was his birthday, asked me about it. And as I set foot out on the, on the pavement, my lights nearly went out. Uh, the caveman, bang, he hit me with his right hand, nearly took my head clean off. Bang, I fell against the windows, then he hit me with two more shots, bang, bang. And, I, and then, like, I was like limp, you know, finished, limp. And, uh, one of the lads jumped in and said, what are you doing? What's going on here? And he stood back shouting, oh, what a, come on, I'll fight the fucking lot of yours. And as this was going on, I was just like, coming around a bit. The only thing I could describe that it was getting it with a full right hand off him was like, was like an hand grenade going off in your head. Boom. Like a flash of light and then complete darkness, you know? And that's what it was like. And... Uh, and I started coming to then. I was all, my legs were all groggy. All my lips were bust. There was blood coming down onto my shirt. 
And someone, one of the lads says, right, let them fight, let them fight. So they blocked the road off where the cars were coming. And I was walking towards him, like, on Greggy Greg, uh, Greg Legs. And uh, we stood throwing punches, and, and these big punches were just missing me. I'm thinking, I hope none of these land. And then I just pulled a big left oak out the, out the bag. Bang! And, and I, I remember his eyes rolling in his head as he went down. And uh, I broke his jaw with that left oak and broke my hand, you know. But uh, Vulture says, as that happened, it was him who dragged, dragged him off the road because he was on the road. Vulture says, oh, when I come out, and I seen him laid there, I thought he was going to get run over. So I, he says, I picked him up by his ankles and dragged him off the road. And, but he was like, I got on top of him again and I gave him a few more because I wanted to finish him off. And, uh, the, but ambulance was going past and stopped and because uh, he was gargling on his own blood and all that then and I thought he was going to die. They got the oxygen mask on him and, and they worked on him, the paramedics, and got him to hospital. And uh, he, he luckily just lived like. But uh, I got locked up over it. Did you? Yeah. But uh, it was just for, like, assault and that. But I had that many witnesses to say he attacked me. So I was just self-defence, you see. So loads of people went to the police station and made statements that it was self-defence and the CPS kicked it out. Good. We've become friends since then. He's oh, like, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> like many years later. Yeah. We've become friends and uh, it's all right, the caveman. He sounds like a character. Oh, certainly a character. Has he ever done any interviews or anything? No, never. But I seen him about six months ago and I didn't even recognise him. He'd lost a load of weight. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't even look like him. Yeah. I said, bloody hell, how are you doing? I had a good talk to him. And uh, one of my friends says, when you called him the caveman, he said it was a great uh, title for him because yeah. I always thought he was like a little bit of a Neanderthal. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that in his ways. But uh, when I seen him about six months ago, he looked different. I thought, mm. yeah, has he become civilised or something? <laughs> <laughs> so, of all the punches you've described today that hand grenade one was that the most intense punch you've ever received well no no but one of them one of them yeah. what was the most intense well i think the most intense ones are when you're in the gym yeah getting your brain smashed all over yeah yeah so it's just like that but without the gloves on you know right so that's why i could take them punches yeah because i was used to getting them in the gym right so I could, and I could absorb a good punch. Yeah, yeah. We recently hooked you up with Ian Blink McDonald in Glasgow. Yeah. And you ended up saving his life. I did, I. What happened there? <laughs> and shout out to Ian, man, we love you. Yeah. What a character. Good You're, fella. If you haven't seen the story of Ian Blink McDonald's arrest in Spain, <laughs> oh, Jesus. It was, it was one of Wildman's all-time favourite stories. We put the clip out separately. Please check it out, it's mental. So what was it like meeting Ian then and what led to this uh, situation? Well, I've seen Ian's podcasts with you and, yeah. and I thought, my God, brilliant. Well, I was up in Glasgow and I thought, I'd love to meet him. So I contacted Jamie Boyle and says, will you pass my number to Sean Atwood and tell him to get in touch with Blink McDonald and I'd like to uh, meet up with him. And anyway, that's what you did. And then 
I had a missed call and a voicemail off Blink, so I phoned him back. And we agreed to meet in a place called Socky Hall Street in uh, Glasgow, a big, uh, well-known, well-known uh, street in Glasgow. So we met, met a couple of times and had something to wait and that. And then this night, we were just having a few drinks, sharing a few stories, eating our steaks, uh, and he just... He started looking funny and going like that. I'm looking at him. I thought, so he wind me up? You know when you like frozen time for a bit? Yeah. And I could see he was like uh, serious. I thought, I think, he can't breathe. I mean, he was like, he's telling me, he, was like, yeah. he just he couldn't breathe. He, was, he had a lump of... Uh, Steak about that big lodged in his throat and he couldn't breathe and he, was, Bloody hell. he couldn't breathe. So I just jumped up from behind him, you know, that yeah. thingy. I've done that and it just, just a lot of spray come out of his mouth. And yeah, this, yeah. And this lump of steak about that big. Holy shit. And he couldn't talk for a few minutes, you know. <laughs> it was like, I couldn't, he couldn't talk. <laughs> and, uh, every time, time he tried to talk, he couldn't, he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't it was like that, so it was really bad. He was really, oh my god, nearly died. Man. You crazy bastard! <laughs> Chew your steak. How does how does it get down? He said, "Fucking hell, look at the size of that. How did I put that in my mouth?" I says, "Look, man. I says, cut it up. It's not a race." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thinks he's in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, "It's not a race, man. Cut yeah. it up. Chew it." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah. So about out of the people, his lives he's saved because he saved a couple of lives as well. Yeah. So he got a bit of payback yeah. there, didn't he? When I saved his life. <laughs> so yeah. So what happened with the Davo fight? Well, Davo, Davo Walsh was a so-called tough guy in Hartlepool. Had a big reputation, but uh, I think his reputation was built on bullshit. Because uh, he was known as Hockey Hulls. And hockey's a lie. He used to tell lies all the time. But he, he had this persona of being a hard man. Well, what he was, he, he was a, a, a loan shark. He used to do loans and what have you. He'd lend you 100 quid, you'd pay 200 back. He used to prey on the women with social security benefits mm -hmm. and child benefits and that. Who had no money, take their books off them, all that. So he was making money that way, and he'd also buy a load of shit clothes, knock you off crap. Well, not knock you off, but you know, fake crap, and put them on all the people who were desperate, who had no money, and that, and charge them extortionate prices. And so that's how they made their money. And so, and he had this. Big reputation as a bare knuckle fighter and all this that and the other and and I think it was just built on built on lies because he was a, he was to tell lies. Well, is is he had a young daughter? He's uh, young. Well, he had a few daughters, but this is the youngest one. Looked on her dad as a hero and didn't think you don't think your dad tells lies like fucking Billy Lie, do you? You just you don't. So she's grew up with all these stories and going round and, and thinking that dad's like some kind of in the Sopranos or something. Really, he's just a placebo. 
He's a fake gangster. So, anyway, at the time, there was this woman in a nightclub went behind the bar. She was having a lot of problems with Devo's daughter. Her daughter was getting bullied constantly at school of Devo's daughter. She couldn't do out about it. How could she do it? So she said, Devo's been coming in here. He's going to knock you out. He's going to do this, that and the other. And that's how she would get Devo back, the daughter back type of thing. Well, you, their hands were tied, weren't they? So I went to the bar with Vulture, another pal, and uh, waited for Devo to come in. And Devo come in last because all his mates come in first. And then I just walked straight over, bang it him with the right hand, it with the left hook, and he was flat out unconscious and pissed himself. Right, and uh, that was it. I walked out the back dock, saw all his other, all his mates were looking at the floor. Jumped in the car and went, and then Dave had said I did him from behind, and I hadn't. I did him face on. Vulture's going to tell that on a podcast that I hit him face on. Because I did, why would I hit someone like fucking Dave from behind? Built a reputation on, oh. Oh, fight, how's he fought? Never fought anyone. So, and for me to hit him from behind, he'd have to walk in the doors like that, and walk in backwards like that. Joke. So I hit him full on, face on, knocked him out. So all the lies were going about me that I did him from behind. Just a little video to put a couple of things straight that have come to my attention. Things that happened a really long time ago, about 30 years ago, between a really good friend of mine, Richie Horsley, and a guy called Dave Waltz. Um, it was a Saturday afternoon in a pub called Fifth Avenue, the first incident. And it, um, Dave Waltz was out with his Saturday afternoon squad. Uh, Galesy, there was, a, as I said, about 10, 15 of them. They go from pub to pub, more or less take over. But on this occasion, we had the door at Fifth Avenue, so we were waiting there for them. Uh, there'd been a bit of an issue between Richie and Dave Waltz. So as they walked in the door, Devo seen Richie, Richie seen Devo, and um, Richie went over to him and absolutely just sparked him straight out. The first bat was the finisher, but I think he got another one. Anyway, myself, Paul Pounder were there, who, who like grabbed Richie immediately because we knew what he was going to do next because he was going to try and cut his head off. Anyway, so that was that. There was no punching from behind. There was nothing. There was nothing of the sort. There was square on when Richie hit him. You know, I was there. I witnessed it. He was There was square on when he hit him. I was there that Saturday afternoon in Fifth Avenue. Richie never hit anybody from behind. Anybody who knows Richie knows that's not how he handles his business. All of his pals, all of them could have stepped in. There was myself, Paul Pounder, Richie Orsi, Mick Temple was a DJ and basically they could have took over the pub and smashed it a bit if they were that way inclined, but to be honest, they weren't. The next incident was that, I'm not going to call it a rematch, but anyway, Dave had to save face and for that, I 100% respect him for it. Uh, the mate was in the lodge car park. Uh, there's been talk of there being three cars full of people with the uh, Richie. There wasn't, there was me and Richie. We were in a gold fiesta. We didn't barely fit in it. 
the fight started, similar thing happened. Done and dusted. Richard picked Dave up, shook his hand, and that was the end of it. Now, 30 years later, here we are. Somebody's talking shite, saying there was three cars full of men at that one, and Richie ran up behind him and punched him from behind in the first one. Well, it just didn't happen. I was there on both occasions, and numerous other occasions we were like brothers. So, I hope that puts it to bed. Anyway, so a second fight was arranged, and then I, I fought him in the a car park up the lodge, and he had this white vest on. Well, I thought he had a white vest on, but his daughter been haggling me on, uh, trolling me on fucking social media. He didn't have a white vest on, he had this vest on, he had that vest on, he had the other vest on. Just all I know was he had the loser's vest on. <laughs> so anyway, I fucking flattened him again, knocked him out. And then that was forgot about for a bit. But they hate, they hate me because I, I burst the bubble of the fucking of him but for me he was nowhere near my league you know I was a trained fighter I'd fought in fucking high class against fighters who could fight so against them it was like a walk in the park cakewalk you know so in football terms it was like Real Madrid playing bloody Barnet you know what I mean <laughs> it was, there was I was going to be only, only going to be one winner so, years and years later, I used to always get told, oh, Dave, I was going to have another fight with you. Dave, I was going to have another fight with you. I think he was just paying lip service to what, you know, out having a drink. Oh, well, there, uh, you know, uh, I think I'm going to do him next time and all that. And there was a bus trip to Whitby and uh, from the Fens pub and my cousin was on it. And Dave and all them went on the drink. And... Uh, my cousin said, fucking hell, that Dave, all he done for 12 hours was talk about you, how about he's going to uh, beat you again, he's going to beat you, and he's going to do this, that, and the other, and I thought. He said, he didn't give you the lickings of a dog. I says, all right. I thought, next time I see him, I won't give him the lickings of a dog. And anyway, so I seen him in a pub. I was just having a drink, and my mind was all over the place, because my mum had just died. And uh, I thought, right, you bastard, fucking... Speaking fork tongue behind my back. I thought, uh, you didn't give me the lickings of a dog. You're not going to get me either. So I just walked over and knocked him straight out, flattened him, and like I nearly swallowed his tongue and all that. And that was that. I put paid to that. But like recently, you know, when I'd done the other interview and getting all its, like the, the, young the youngest daughter's been saying more evil and nasty things about me and because she's been told a load of lies from day one mm. that she thinks it's true and it's all fucking bullshit because he is a billy liar and it's it's all crap but they would they refuse to believe it you know they they just think it's all true but even if there was cctv then of that i've seen me knock him out face on they probably still wouldn't believe it because, you know, there's an old saying, you can't educate pork. And I think uh, that's right there. So they've been, and uh, I was going to run for, uh, I was going to run in the council elections, right, this year. Even he voted for me, uh, the caveman. 
he voted for me. <laughs> but Davo's daughter, the young daughter, well, I'm saying young, she's like uh, 40 odd year old now. She was, someone was out delivering letters and she was running down the path screaming, I'm not fucking falling for that wanker, he's an asshole and all that. Wow. I mean, yeah, and then putting vile hate on social media about me, mm. which is all pure lies. And uh, you know what I mean? Uh, but my wife screenshotted everything and, and kept it like, and uh, I'm thinking, why are you still like that after 30 years? You know, then move on and get on with your life. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of um, unstable people online just doing all kinds of and crazy things. You've got air doing it, and then they're a stupid idiot friends having their little two mm. and they're thinking, oh, grow up and move on. Yeah. You've spoken very affectionately about the vulture. Yeah. Have you got any stories about the vulture that you've not told? Vulture was a. Uh, well, he is, he's a hell of a lad. We've been pals a long time. And, uh, yeah, we still we've had lots of fights together, watched each other's back all the time. Vulture was, he, he got into, he got taught, taught a bit of boxing when he was a kid. But he, he always liked the, the kickboxing and that. But he was a hell of, hell of a fighter. And he, you know the jab, bang, bang. He, he could use his leg, his left foot, like a jab. He used it as his jab. I've never seen a left leg like it. A left foot was unbelievable. You just stand there and just go, bang, you know, like with your leg, his leg. And he'd just take your face off. It'd be like opening a letter bomb, getting one of them in the face of him. But he'd use his, his left leg like a jab, bang, bang, unreal. And then once he'd... Softened you up with that. He put a big elbow on you, smash, and he'd take half your head off. He was a hell of a fighter. And there's another, there was a hard guy in uh, Hartlepool called Terry Rich, who uh, was a good pal of McSorby's. He was going to have a fight with Vulture once. And uh, he pulled up in the car, and Vulture says, Nickers and Bra, get out the car. Come on, let's have a fight. He called him Nickers and Bra because uh, he had a bit of a fetish. Terry used to like wear women's clothes on the sly. But it, uh, it came, all came out about him. And, uh, but he was a tough, it was a tough man, Terry. But he used to pick his fights. But he, uh, if he's going to fight a tough guy, he'd, he'd go like two o'clock in the morning when the guy's pissed and he's fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what he'd done with Vulture that night. So Vulture was walking home after a night, early hours. But Vulture was still half all right. So that's why he cocked off. Wouldn't fight him, you know. But uh, Vulture would have wiped the floor with him. What's the craziest situation you and Vulture ever got in? Oh, we've, well, just loads and loads, and loads of fights. But I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny <laughs> one. He's, uh, he says to me, can you remember when we uh, got so-and-so out of... Uh, Police custody, under the police's nose. Got him out. I says, I. Well, was our pal was Lee Duffy's mate. He was under police escort at hospital. So they put him in this hospital room on his own. And there was two policemen outside his door. So they couldn't, uh, couldn't get him out, could they? And he was like on the second floor and they thought, 
There's no way he's going to jump out of there, breaking bloody legs. It's too much of a drop. So we went full, full side of the lock. There was two police outside. He started, I'm never going to get him out. So we'll have to get ladders. Right, so we got <laughs> a big set of huge ladders, right, to go up to the second floor. We went, snaked. There was no CCTV on out then. Then we got the got the ladders up there, just outside his bedroom window. Out his, and he's seen us coming, so he was prepared. So Fulci was up the ladder. <laughs> so Andy, Andy, he sneaked out the sneaked out the window. He said <laughs> Fulci was saying. He said he only had that the the hospital dressing gown on. He said, and he was arrogant, you know, to get down the ladders. He said he's fucking balls at me in the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> he said he balls at me in the forehead. <laughs> I was fucking crying. I was crying. Hey. Oh. But, uh, yeah, and we, we got him away. But, uh, <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> but obviously, he got, he got, eventually got found. And, yeah. But it's funny, funny thing. It's just been a, it's been a bit of a blast, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's been a blast hearing your stories. And for all the people watching this video, then, Richie, is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion? On that camera there. Go to the gym, you know, learn, learn the basics of how to defend yourself. You don't need knives. Put the knives down. Only cowards carry knives. You know, they don't. Get an education, stick in at school. Do something useful in your life. Because if you think about all the, the money you make selling drugs and all this and the other, and then all the prison time that comes with it, if you add all that up, you might as well just get a bloody uh, a, a factory job and work as a factory because you'd make the same amount of money, wouldn't you? But, so you're only going to be king for a day, annually, just a short time with the drugs. And you're going to break you? all your family members. Because it always, and your it always and comes on top, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It always comes on top. Yeah. So if you want to check out Richie's books, all the links will be in the description box below this video. Check out Jamie Boyle's YouTube all that will be in the description box, Warcry Publishing. And let us know in the comments what you thought about this video. So thank you for checking the story out today. And huge thank you to Richie for coming on, man. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, man. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. Yeah.